I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, Touch Em All listeners, Derek Wetmore here. We've got a special episode of the Touch Em All podcast for you today. No Phil Mackey this time. I'm joined by a special guest, R.J. Anderson. R.J. covers baseball for CBS Sports, their MLB page. You can find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. He's also co-host of the DFA podcast, a fun baseball podcast that I just discovered and you could check out, too. RJ uh, has covered the Rays for a long time. He writes with an analytical bent, which we appreciate on this podcast. RJ and I talk about new twins, former Rays. Jake Odorizzi, Logan Morrison. I'm just realizing now we did not get to Fernando Rodney, although maybe there's another podcast in store for that. Uh, RJ had some really interesting perspective on Odorizzi and his stats and his approach to pitching. And also Logan Morrison and his breakout as part of the Flyball Revolution. Hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll see you with a regular Touch Em All episode later this week. All right, guest of the program, RJ Anderson, joins. RJ writes for CBS Sports. Uh, tell me quickly, before we get into a couple former Rays t- turned twins, what your connection with the uh, Rays organization and, and how you came to know these players, RJ? Well, I grew up a Rays fan growing up in the Bay Area, which is not something a lot of people can attest to saying. Yeah. I grew up watching the Devil Rays and the Tampa Bay Rays, and I wrote about them for years on various websites. And, yeah, I just moved to the D.C. area last year, but otherwise I've been local my entire life. And, yeah, I'm familiar with many of the former Rays on the Twins roster. Yeah, and they are picking them up uh, at warp speed, so I guess – Alex Cobb and Chris Archer probably next, but uh, for now, the Twins have Jake Odorizzi, who they got in a bit of a steal of a trade, and Logan Morrison. We'll touch on those two guys, maybe quickly touch on Fernando Rodney as well. Um, If you don't mind, RJ, I just want to go chronologically because the Odorizzi trade was a week ago, and Logan Morrison's fresher on the brain, so we'll finish the podcast with that. Um, I think Jake Odorizzi is a pretty good pitcher, like a, a mid-rotation type of starter, and the Twins did well in the trade. Am I missing something there on Odorizzi? No, I agree with all of that. I thought that was a steal of a deal for the Twins. As you mentioned, you know he's a very athletic, uh, proven big league pitcher. You know he's got yeah. mid-rotation um, stuff. You know he goes out there and when he's at his best, he stair steps with his fastball, which has a lot of backspin to it and a splitter that he actually learned from Alex Cobb. So there's your little connection there. Sure. Cobb were to join the Twins. <laughs> and, you know, in addition to that, you know, Odorizzi's game is very vertical-based. You know, he even okay. has a slow curveball hook row. He does have a cutter. That's basically the only pitch he has that really has horizontal movement. And, you know, he's coming off a season in which he allowed more walks, more home runs. But he's always been a strike thrower throughout his career. And, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if the ball messed with him more than the average pitcher okay. because of the fact he's always up in the zone. So I think it was a pretty good deal for Minnesota, and I like it a lot for him. Yeah, and it's it's tough from a Rays perspective, obviously, with some uh, extra stuff going on the periphery of, of what's happening with that team. Um, the Twins seem to have caught them at a good time on that deal. Um, you mentioned stair-stepping with the fastball. I want to touch on that. Uh, Travis Sochik wrote a quick analysis piece of the trade for Fangraphs in which he – 
he talked about, yeah, well, part of the home run problem is because Odorizzi lives up in the zone, and that high fastball was driven out of the park. I think it was 11 times, I want to say, he led the league last year, giving up high fastball home runs. Um, it, has that been something that's followed Odorizzi throughout his career, or, or was that sort of a newer development? I know he talked when he first came to Fort Myers here in spring training, he talked about, like, last year was just a terrible year for him, he said, and he didn't come out and say it, but he sort of alluded to the fact that the back injury might have played into some of that. So I guess two questions kind of tied up into one, but to, uh, do you sense that as a possibility that his back injury maybe just hurt him? And to what extent do you think him just living up in the zone is, is going to just be him walking a fine line each night for giving up lots of home runs? Well, I think the back injury definitely could have impacted him. Obviously, you know, I am not Jake Odorizzi, and sure. I wasn't in the room, so I don't know uh, to what extent. But I think it's perfectly fair to think that an injury like that, certainly one that can be nagging and can affect your stuff. With regards to, you know, living up in the zone, you know, that's one of Odorizzi's issues throughout his career was the inability to finish hitters off. Always mm-hmm. coming up as a prospect, he had a deep arsenal, but he didn't really have an out pitch. So, you know, the raised way is basically throw high fastballs, you know, you get that. Uh, hop, use your fastball to hop over bat, and then if you have an out pitch, you know, use that down in the zone or what have you. And I do think they're subbing to the idea that maybe the baseballs, if they were juiced last season, affected him more than it would have affected a normal pitcher because, you know, Odorizzi's not going out there and throwing in the upper 90s. He's more of a finesse guy relative to the arms you see nowadays. Sure. So, yeah, I think that's certainly something that could have came into play, and I would just throw out another article recommendation. Uh, Danny Farquhar, who you guys are probably familiar with from his days, with the White Sox, did a nice Q&A with James Spiegan of The Athletic, and he basically talked about the Rays' way. And Farquhar is kind of similar to Odorizzi in the sense that, you know, high fastball, low splitter. He talked about, you know, how his what the Rays told him to do because of the separation between his fastball and his splitter. And I think a lot of that's applicable to Odorizzi. And, hmm. you know, it's a very analytically heavy organization down there, very uh, analytical approach to how they you know teach their pitchers and what they want their pitchers to do and you know i know minnesota is starting to get into that stuff as well the yeah. new front office but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Odorizzi has a bounce back season not only do it to his health but also because i think the ball is probably going to be tweaked a little bit again okay and i think it'll be a good combination there for Odorizzi and for him to have a you know rebound season sure then uh i heard you talk about it on the on your dfa podcast the other day um, but I, I want to circle back to something you you sort of just passed over, and that is Josh Kalk, his involvement now with the Twins. He, of course, was with the Rays for years, noted, noted uh, pitching analyst uh, who now joins Derek Falvey's staff. Um, he's no doubt aware of all this stuff. Uh, he's no doubt aware of the Rays' way. So if there's any, you know, if Odorizzi wants that continuation factor there, uh, Kalk sort of brings that. Um, but But I guess just off of that, Pakoda, the projection system for baseball prospectus, not super high on Odorizzi for this year. I'm looking at his page right now, and they're they're projecting about 160 innings with a 4.82 ERA. Um, you and I both said earlier on the podcast that we like Odorizzi as a good, proven mid rotation type starter. Um, why the gap there? What does Pakoda see that uh, that maybe I'm missing, or or maybe something that the math is missing that you'd have some insight to? why Odorizzi could outperform those expectations. Well, I would start by saying that the innings total isn't necessarily something to worry about because 
you know, even baseball perspectives goes in and manually adjusts for the innings and the play appearances and stuff like that. Okay. You know, it's very hard to project playing time. Sure. So any algorithm-based projection system is going to have issues um, with regards to that because they're regressing toward the mean and, you know, 200 inning seasons or what have you yeah. aren't really something you expect to see in projection systems to down, uh, out nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, I couldn't tell you offhand why Dakota is so low on Odorizzi. It's a comparable-based system, so my guess is, you know, they're throwing him into the mix with a bunch of, you know, flyball-heavy pitchers, and they don't really have, well, when I say they, I mean the algorithm doesn't really have a grasp on the changes happening within the league. Sure. So it seems like it's a good time for Odorizzi to exist because, you know, the league is more based on pitching up in the zone now than it was you know, 10, 15 years ago when the guts of Dakota was being built. Mm. Now, they've tweaked that, and they'll continue to tweak that, obviously, but sure. I do think there's something to be said about the dynamics of the league shifting and uh, Dakota perhaps being a little bit behind on the curve there. Yeah, well, and and uh, we talk a lot on this podcast about the fly ball revolution, and, and maybe that segues into the next guy we'll talk about, but I, that was one of the things I was curious about him. I appreciate you shedding some light on. I mean, Jake Odorizzi seems like a guy who might be a victim of the flyball revolution, but uh, as we've seen each year, there's always a counterpunch. What's the next? You know, what's the next evolution for pitchers? How do hitters counter that? And on and on and on. Um, let's talk about Logan Morrison because I think Twins fans are. If I had to say which they're more excited about, it'd be tough to call. I think they're they're pretty stoked on Odorizzi, but there was this subtext of. You promised us you Darvish, and all you got was this mid-rotation starter who's going to serve as a de facto ace. And I get that. I, I understand. But I also think there's something to be said for just adding wins to your roster, especially with a relatively low replacement uh, option in-house for the Twins. I, I, I view this like if Odorizzi's a two-win pitcher, it's more like he's a three-win pitcher because the Twins just didn't have very much in the way of starting depth. Um, but Morrison hits bombs, and so people are just excited about him. Uh, We've talked a little bit already on previous episodes of this podcast, RJ, about uh, Morrison's breakout year, how he's really embraced uh, letting it fly and how his power numbers surged as a result. But uh, short question, are you buying into Logan Morrison's 2017 breakout season? I'm buying into some of it. I don't know if he's going to go out there and hit 38 home runs again or be quite as productive as he was last season. However, I do believe that the process shift he made, where he's you know not only pulling the ball more but hitting significantly more fly balls, I think that can be a recipe for improved numbers. And it's kind of funny that the Twins are making this bet because you know the division rivals, the Cleveland Indians, are making a similar bet on Yonder Alonso. If you would ask me during the offseason, you know, which of the two I prefer, I probably would have said Logan Morrison because, you know, Alonzo, I don't know, i just never been the hugest fan of him. And, sure. you know, they're kind of similar players overall, but I thought Morrison, I, I, I should say, I think Morrison will potentially be the better player of those two heading forward. And maybe mm. it's just because I'm underrating Alonzo. I don't know. But, yeah, I can understand why Twins fans are excited about Morrison. You know, he had another potentially big bat to this lineup, and – it's certainly at a time where they have a lot of, uh, let's put, un- let's say, uncertainty about Miguel Sano. Yeah. You know, with the investigation ongoing, it's possible he's suspended. With, you know, the injury he had, uh, it's possible he misses time because of that. And I mean, he had one of the, I believe, it was the GM come out last week and kind of poke fun at 
is conditioning. So that's a bad combination, and it just makes sense for the Twins to go out there, take advantage of this market, and add a potentially big bat at the cost they did because the contract itself is kind of laughable. Yeah. I mean, that's not a contract that you expect a 38-home run hitter to get after a seemingly a breakout season. I mean, he's entering his age 30 season. It's not like he's an old dude here. Yeah. So, I, like with the Odorizzi trade, I like this a lot for Minnesota. It's them being opportunistic, and my only qualm is they should go out there and take advantage of the market once more and sign Alex Cobb or Lance Lynn. Yes. Really give you know, really give his uh, rotation a boost. Yes, I agree with you. I think that there is something to be said for, you know, a uh, Low 80s to mid 80s win team, at least in terms of projections, as a clear second fiddle to the Indians in the Central. At least, at least right now, from the outside looking in, the, my contention all off season has been like those are the kinds of teams that should be hyper motivated to make moves. That you know, if you're the Dodgers, Logan Morrison's not going to add meaningful wins, or at a, at least at a meaningful point of the win curve. Same for the White Sox at the other end of things. But like the Twins are at this spot where adding a win or two or three can really, really, you know, change the outcome of a season. Um, so, yes, I am with you. I'm glad to hear you say that, too, that uh, go ahead and finish the job. Um, I hope for your sake, RJ, that uh, finishing the job is not waiting until July 15th and trading for Chris Archer, but maybe uh, maybe that would be a route they could take, too, and, and the Rays would get to load up on a huge bundle of prospects in a in a deal like that um do you think that uh do you think that archer gets dealt at some point this year that's a hard one because he signed to such a deal that even the rays can't justify dumping that contract (laughs) um i will say for his sake and i kind of made this joke i think a week or two ago on twitter i said you know what it's almost like they're trying to make everyone okay with the evan longoria trade because then you look at longoria and you say you know what he didn't deserve to have to play with this match sure yeah, I guess I guess the same perspective applies to Archer. Right? You almost want to see him trade it because then he can go and flourish elsewhere. Because you know everybody knows he's a good pitcher. Mm. Everybody knows he has good stuff, good athlete, all that stuff. He's also basically what you want in terms of a player investing in his community, uh, investing in you know being a positive role model and all that good stuff. And you know sometimes we overlook that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's certainly a case on the Twins roster right now where you're kind of trying to overlook the person and focus on the player. Well, in Archer's case, you can embrace the person and the player, and I think that's pretty great. So, you know, for his sake, I do hope he's traded. However, realistically, I don't know if someone's going to give him the package they're going to want in the next year. I could see him being there a little longer. At some point, I do think he'll get traded. But, you know, that's just the reality of being a good player who's making more than the league minimum in Tampa Bay. Eventually, your day is going to come. Right. A lot of people in Minnesota want that deal to happen yesterday, but as I keep saying, like, you know, the Rays are not in a, they're not forced into anything right now. With four years team control, you're still talking, this same conversation could be had next winter, where you're like, whoa, the Rays have a cost-controlled ace with three years of service time left, and and, uh, that that would command a pretty package of prospects. Uh, I think that... uh, I think that we tend to think about one side of trades when we're analyzing them, but like the reality is, if I'm the Rays, I would hold out and ask for a Twins' top prospect, Royce Lewis, right? In in any kind of a deal like that, or, or somebody of that ilk, and you know they are seems like anyways from the outside looking in, perfectly fine to be patient. Um, before I forget, I do want to put a pin in something you said there because you mentioned it about Odorizzi too. 
about uh, pitchers being athletic. Is that a, is that a raised thing? I, I just I haven't heard that talked about too much with the Twins, and I'm curious your insight into like the importance of a pitcher being athletic versus say um, Bartolo Colon, who made a bunch of starts for the Twins last year. Like like the what's what's the uh, the fringe benefit of being able or or you know being an athletic player. Yeah, well, I would just say Oda Rizzi actually played wide receiver in high school. Wow. So he is a very athletic dude. And I don't know if it's just a race thing as much as, you know, in general, you would like the athlete over someone who's maybe not as athletic because, in theory, you know, athletes, or we're talking about good athletes here, sure. are able to make adjustments to their game easier than someone who's not so athletic. And, you know, just to use Archer as an example, you know, he was able to make some mechanical tweaks to his. Uh, delivery that maybe if he's a little less athletic, he's not able to do. And with mm. pitching, the theory is that the more athletic you are, the easier you're able to repeat your delivery, the easier you are to, you know, be able to make those tweaks, the easier it is X, Y, Z, you know, whether mm. it's building your position, whether it's controlling the base running game by having quick feet and a good pickoff move. And, you know, Barcello Cologne, actually, he's a good athlete for his size. Yes. He does a good job of controlling the base running game and all that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, some a guy who's lumbering, maybe he's all over the place with his release point. Maybe he's not good at getting off the mound and building his position. Okay. You can run on him. You can run on him. You know, stuff like that. So, in general, uh, athleticism is a sought-after sought attribute no matter where the person, uh, where the player is playing defensively, or you know, whatever position he's at, you want an athlete because of the adjustments, because of the idea that you know maybe they can be uh, valuable contributors for longer because their body will allow that. Sure. So I don't think it's necessarily just a raise thing, but you know, in both of the cases, uh, those were pitchers the Rays acquired when they were prospects, and you know, Odorizzi was actually the better prospect in terms of you know. Uh, his rankings within the industry than yeah. Archer was when they were acquired. So that's kind of a funny thing to think about given yeah. how their careers have turned out. But yeah, you know, in general, you want athleticism in all your players, but, you know, it definitely helps with pitching. Right. Well, and one of the things I wrote about when they first acquired Odorizzi was, you know, part of the Granky trade and then part of the James Shields Wade <laughs> Davis trade. Uh, uh, kind of surprising. Yeah, around. yeah, I'll say. And And now this is the first time that really he'd been, you know, established and had to pack up and find a new home. He talked about how that was kind of tough, but it's definitely not his first time uh, maybe opening Twitter.com and seeing, oh, all right, new job. Um, yeah. Hey, one final thing, because uh, you you tend to lean this way based on what I've read of your work, RJ. How, how familiar are you with what Josh Kalk has done, and what can you tell Twins fans who kind of nerd out on that stuff? What, what can you tell them about him? My understanding is that he's a pretty secretive guy and so maybe it's maybe it's not all out there in the public but i've read a lot of the work that he'd put on you know bp and stuff that was public before he got snatched up um is there any anything that you can tell the audience about the things that he's been able to accomplish with the rays over the years uh, that's a really good question unfortunately the rays are about as secretive an organization as there is in baseball yeah I mean, okay you know, if, they, if the Rays tell you something, you know they're lying to you. Let me put it that way. <laughs> they, uh, I, I don't even know if they would confirm that Jake Goderizzi ever played for them at this point. They might tell you, we don't know who Jake Goderizzi is. Yeah, uh, okay. Hawk, you, know, <laughs> you know, basically the public stuff out there, I think he's best known for was the injury and nexus work. Sure. Which, you know, was supposed to show whether a pitcher's injuries were predictable based on pitch effects data. And I can tell you that the Rays are big into things beyond pitch effects data. 
uh, one of the new things coming out called Kima Track. And basically, it uses all these cameras and, you know, this really cool technology to give you a better biomechanical feel for your pictures. And I don't know if he was directly involved with that because it's one of these new pieces of technology that you kind of need a specialist to dig through and all. But I'm guessing, you know, he had some hand in that to some extent. And it's considered like the latest um, technological wave that can help you diagnose picture health. And, Mm. hey, I don't know if it works. I don't know what exactly... What you know, what they've learned from that, but you know, to pluck from that Tampa Bay tree, someone who's established, someone who was clearly valued yeah. under you know two regimes now, I think it's a good hire for the Twins. You know, they have smart people in charge of them, uh-huh. and you know, you can't really argue with either uh, either their backgrounds and you know the organizations they came from. So clearly, yeah. he did something right, and so sure. they heard about it through the back channels or what have you. That's so, fascinating. I, unfortunately, I can't give you any of the secrets because I don't know them and. I would guess if I knew them, the Rays probably would have let him go long ago. Yeah. Well, they'd let him go, and they'd probably put you in a state penitentiary somewhere for (laughs) divulging. Well, that's what Tropicana. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you know. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Well, I've just been really fascinated about this. The the, uh, Rays-Twins angle continues, and... uh, (laughs) Um, RJ, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast, and maybe if uh, Alex Cobb signing happens, we'll uh, call you back and get you on Touch Em All one more time. Absolutely. Sounds great. Cool. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys. It's Derek one more time. There's plenty more where that came from. 1500ESPN.com. I've got my series up there. Or you can sign up for my email list. You'll find that by going to 1500ESPN.com, pulling up any of these twins' columns. If you scroll to the bottom, Put your email address in there. You are automatically subscribed to my Baseball Insider list where you'll get a lot of these columns and analysis. If you want to follow my coverage from Fort Myers during spring training, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Derek Wetmore MLB. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.